You know, one of the great things that we have the opportunity, and it's a unique opportunity, often at the beginning of the year, and I've been focusing for the last three weeks on how to use this gift that God's given us. It's called time, our lives. Do we want to, are we really happy with the way things went last year, or do we want to make some changes? If we want to make some changes, in fact, I've found that God loves me as I am, but he doesn't leave me as I am. He always draws me towards more growth and towards more maturity. And I look forward to that. It's a journey of excitement. Life never stays the same with God. He's constant, but he grows us. So if you've got your outlines, I encourage you to take them out because today will be a very practical application day of applying God's word in this church and in God's church in the, in the world. He wants us to not just hear his word, but to apply his word diligently. That is being a disciple, applying his word. Now, here's the first observation. Who's observed, and actually Dr. Stafford can confirm, is it true that 100% of the people die? Is that true? It is. Okay. It's still the same. 100% of the people die. So the point is, there's a fixed point at the end of your life and my life. We sometimes don't want to think about that. So we put off, we procrastinate thinking clearly. So the point is, if you've got a fixed point here and you're somewhere along here, every day you're spending one more of those days. And how we use them has eternal significance. And we forget that because we get all wrapped up in our busyness. Busy, 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 busy. And sometimes we lose the direction and the meaning and the purpose of our lives. So at the beginning of the year, I want to encourage you to take this with a renewed, fresh vision. Father, I thank you for every single person sitting in every single seat here today. I pray that you would drill into them by your spirit the things that you want to say from your word. Remind them, convict them, encourage them, exhort them, Lord, by your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. One, life is short compared to eternity. That's a logical truism. You're going to spend trillions of years in eternity. And you compare that to the miserable 80 or 90 years that we have on earth. It's not long. So if you're going to do something, you better get on with it. Because time's running out. And I mean that in a factual sense. On the other hand, if you don't do anything with your life, it doesn't matter how much time you've got left. What matters is actually not the length of your life or the duration of your life, but the donation of your life, how you live. Now, God put you on this planet for his purposes. He created you with his purposes in mind. And he wants you to wisely use your life. But most people are so busy with their agenda, they're swamped with the clutter of life, that they don't have time for God to use them. So in 2020, right at the get-go, at the kickoff of the 2020 match, we are going to work on that. So if you want to be used by God, if you want your life to count in 2020, you must learn to manage your time. You must. The Bible says here, Proverbs, uh, excuse me, in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us, teach 
Teach, that means I need to learn. God, teach me, I need to learn to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach me. Circle that word teach. Notice this, that time management must be taught. It must be taught. Why? Because it's so easy. Nobody has to teach you how to waste your time, how to procrastinate, how to fritter away things on things that won't ultimately matter a hell of beans. Five principles. So I'm going to talk from God's word because all of the wisdom that you need to live your life is in God's word. Anything that you see from Jordan Peterson, he's cheating. He just takes God's word, turns it around a bit, changes a few words and presents it. And they go, wow, that's great. Well, duh. If they look where we got it from, it's straight from the word of God. Same in business principles. You get to have a business school and you go, gee, that's really smart. Actually, all I've done is taking God's words and put it in business language. The source of all truth is God. Five principles to maximize your time for the things it's supposed to be about in 2020. The first thing to do is I must accept responsibility for my time. I'm not responsible for yours and you are not responsible for mine. So what does that mean? What does that mean, Pete? It means that I need to stop complaining about how much I've got to do. How are you? I'm busy. Expunge that word from your vocabulary. You're as busy as you choose to be. We'll get to that in a minute. So you stop complaining about how much you've got to do and you start choosing what you should be doing. Stop complaining and start choosing. You make some smart choices. Now again, I fully admit... And understand, you may not like being so busy. But here's the honest to God point. Nobody is holding a gun to your head or mine. Nobody. Isn't that true? Nobody's forcing you to do what you're doing. Nobody. And you can't change your circumstances until you change your thinking. And start making good choices. The Bible says in Galatians 6, we are responsible for what? Our own conduct. Me, not anybody else, or he maybe do it. No, they didn't. You have a choice. That means that you accept responsibility for your life and your time. And God gave you, one of the beautiful freedoms he gave you is the freedom to choose. Here's another shocking, small, punctuated statement. You are as close to God as you want to be. You're as spiritually mature as you want to be. You're as happy as you want to be. You're as disciplined as you want to be. And you're as busy as you want to be. It is a choice. So today, why don't you resolve at the beginning of 2020 to stop complaining about how much work you've got to do and how swamped you are and how exhausted you are and how much and how I can't get it all done and just instead choose to accept responsibility for how I use God's gift of time that he's given me. It's a gift. Don't complain about the gift. Be careful though how you use or abuse the gift, Right? Like, if you gave your little grandchild a particular precious toy and they were whacking the concrete with it, whoa, whoa, 
that's not what I intended you to do with that toy. I intended you to, to look after it and use it wisely, the way it was intended to be used, not abused. Number two, B, believe. And this is where some of you need the injection of God's supernatural spirit in your lives to help you do what you need. Believe God will help me if I trust him. This is not a self-help deal. Because I've realized self-help doesn't go far enough. This has nothing to do. This is the, God, give me the desire and the power to do what you want me to do. Philippians 4.13 says, There is nothing I cannot master with the help of Christ who gives me the strength. And that includes my life and how I use it and the choosing of time. Now, do you really believe that? You need to circle there with the help of Christ. I am not, to be really clear, for those of you listening on the internet, I am not talking about positive thinking. I am not talking about self-assuredness or cockiness. This has nothing to do with it. Paul here had complete confidence that Christ would give him strength to do what? Because this verse is quoted, misquoted way too many times to justify the wrong ends. It's terribly abused. What's Paul talking about? Remember, I'm giving you the summary of a whole week's worth of learning. You need to go always and drill into the context of what people... I do that. So what you get, you already get in my work. But here's what it's talking about. Paul had complete confidence in Christ. He was given the strength to do what? To do God's work of spreading the gospel, running the race well, not getting distracted, and finishing well. That's what God would help him with. Not building a multi-million dollar empire. Not being super popular on Facebook. That's not what we're talking about here. It's often misquoted to mean you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. That is not true. Let me just say that again. That is not true. You cannot do everything. That's a lie that the world tries to sell you. It's a dead end. Some people need to tell some of these people on Britain's Got Talent, you are not a singer, lady. Where was your mother? They're deluded. I was just telling the truth. It's not PC, but it's the truth. They'd be better perhaps being a whatever, whatever they're strong at, but they are certainly not strong in that area. Anyway, back to the point. So I accept responsibility for my time. B, believe that God will help me get on his business if I trust him. C, we sure need help, God's help to do this next point. C, clarify what's most important because this is where we lose the plot terribly. Because we've got this, we've got this tsunami of culture trying to swamp us, saying, this is important, get this, and you'll be loved. Do this, or buy this car, or buy this house, or have this many assets. What I mean by this is that we need to stop saying, I can get it all done. And start realizing that not all of it's worth being done. Stop saying, I can get it all done, and start realizing not all is worth doing. Be selective. I talked about that last week. Some of you in this room are meticulous, task-oriented people. You have your to-do list. Every day, it's there. And that's a good thing. 
but overextended, it's a bad thing. On the other side, you should agree the things I'm not going to, I'm going to stop doing. My not-to-do list. Otherwise, the to-do list never ends. Now, the good news is God doesn't expect you to do everything. And what I'm saying here is we need to clarify what is important in life. You've got to know what matters most and what doesn't matter. Because everybody tells you, like the phone rings at our place, often on the phone. And if I'm in the middle of dinner, it happened the other day. I said, somebody said, are you going to get up and get the phone? I said, no. What's important is I'm present here right now with you, my family. If it's important, they'll call back. If it's an emergency, they'll call another number. I got up and was some blinking robocall when I looked at the phone. Not everything demands your urgent attention. At that moment, somebody thought it was important I went and got the phone. It was not important. Life's like that. Many people say, hey, come here, do this, help, please, this, this. And so many demands that we have, not all is going to count. Not all is going to last. See, many of the things that we spend our time on this week are not going to have any impact a year from now, much less 50 years or eternity. What does it matter? So if you want to please God, right? It's kind of like your wife. I, I, I don't mean your wife's God, please hear me. <laughs> but if you want to know what to please your wife, you need to know what she wants. If you want to please God, you need to know what he wants. You will need to know what God values most. So here's the point. Have you clarified what's most important and what isn't? Because Proverbs 17, 24 says this. An intelligent man or person aims at wise actions, but a fool starts off in many directions. Doesn't do this, do that, do this, do that, do that. The wise person says, no, no. I'm going to be selective of how I use this time. The races I'm choosing to run. Circle aims on that verse. The word aims. It says, if you're going to be intelligent, you have to have aims. You have to have a target. You have to have goal. Ready? Aim. Aim. Choose your target. Select target acquisition. Where am I going? Where's my goal? Godly goals. What are your godly goals? That's a good point. You may want to write that aside. What are my godly goals? Do I have any? We're going to get to that in a second. An intelligent person aims... You've got to know where the target is. I command the range at a gun club. And one of the things I've got to make sure is that everybody's acquired a target and it's in the right direction. <laughs> that we're all agreed what we shoot at. Because <laughs> there are live bullets here. We need to be clear where the target is. Where's your target for God? An intelligent person aims for godly targets. Where's your godly goal? If you haven't got one, maybe at the beginning of the year, this is a good time to think about that. Rather than being washed over by the world's goals. Aim well. To aim well you and hit the target, you've got to know where the target is. They know, godly people know how they want to use their life for God. And they go for it. A fool just muddles around in two dozen directions and burns all of their energy and finds they're very tired. There's only so much energy you've got. So spend it wisely. On that note, the greatest gift God has 
offered you is a salvation by Jesus Christ. And he came and he died so that your sins could be forgiven. But the second greatest gift you're given in life is the freedom to choose. Again, we talked about the first point, freedom to choose. The freedom to choose. And you need to accept that gift. Just talking about that gift. In Job 34, it says this. We can choose the sounds that we want to listen to. I have a Spotify, a Spotify, a Spotify playlist. <laughs> swat, swat. And it's got a Christmas thing. It's got a set that I listen to if I'm mowing the lawns. And it's got a different set for these things, different playlists. We can choose the music. Choose. You choose. You choose yours. Kimberly's ones are very different to my ones that have, you know. And we can choose the taste we want. I like Burger Burger. Forget McDonald's. And we should choose to follow what is right. Yeah? But look at this. But first of all, we must define what is good. Oh, we forget that. Most people have never done this. They go through their entire lives and never take the time to define what matters most to them. To clarify and write out their values. Great thing to do for couples who are getting married. Great thing to do again for couples who are married. To redefine what are really our values, husband and wife. Clarify it. God willing, you say this. This is what I sense you want me to do with my life and, or our life, God. So we must clarify what matters most to God. Not to the world. Forget the world. The world will love you one minute and distract you and hate you the next and drop you like a fly. Why? Why must we clarify what matters most to God? Because you can't do good until you decide what is good. You can't do what's important until you decide what's important. You've got to invest some time clarifying what's important to God. Is it crystal clear to you what's important to God? So here's the implication of this. If you don't know what matters most, you'll either, one, be indecisive and procrastinate, what Kimberly was talking about, because you don't know what's important. All the choices seem hard. If all your choices seem hard, friends... It just means one thing. Your values are not clear. If your values are clear, decision making is easy. So if you find yourself stuck in decision making, it's not hard making decisions. The problem is your values aren't clear enough. When you don't know what matters most, you'll either be indecisive or you'll be sidetracked from God's purposes for your life. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So question. Let's get a little practical here. Have you really clarified what do I want to accomplish with my life for God? You get one. That's it. There's a question you may want to drill down on in your own life. Just write that question down somewhere on your outline. What do I want to accomplish with my life for God? Because I'm trying to prepare you for the final exam. If I go to Professor Lawrence's class and he's, pre- he's prepared an exam, 
I can't get to the exam. You know, I, I go to all of his lectures to learn what's going to be in that final exam because I'm hoping he's going to give me some hints. <laughs> so I, oh, he's mean, he's not. I'm giving you some hints of what's going to be in the final exam so that you can use the time wisely and prepare. Here's another question. How do we want to be different at the end of the month? Is there anything you want to change in your life for God? In just a minute, I'm going to help you with some of these goals to get started on it. So first, I accept responsibility for my time. Is that clear? Really easy. It's just ABCs. B. I believe God will help me if I trust him, get on with his purpose. And C, I clarify what's most important. Um, This is to Kimberly's point. D, don't procrastinate. This is really important. The most important word you can learn in time management is simply two letters, no. Can you say that? Let's hear that. No. Let's say it. No. Say it again. Don't be embarrassed of saying that. Some of you are pushed into things that you really regret later on. The word is no. You don't have to be no aggressively. You can just say thank you, but no. I have, and you can give some other reason. Every time you say the word no, you save yourself a whole lot of time. Time you will never get back. Ever. Because remember, this is a diminishing precious asset. When something's not adding to your roles or your goals, this is when you say no. Here, see those two things? Roles or goals. If it doesn't add value to your roles as a husband or goals as a person before God or a couple before God, say no. When it's worthy, on the other hand, do it now. So when it doesn't attach to your roles and goals, no. When it's worthy, get on it. And don't procrastinate. That's the general idea. Now if you just do those two things, no, and do it now, you'll be light years ahead of the general population. Because good stewards of the gift of time that God has given them realize this. And by the way, just for some of you in this room, I want to tell you something in a sentence which is probably will clarify some of your thinking. Most of your life will be lived under imperfect conditions. Most of your life will be lived under imperfect conditions. And that's important, and it's derived from the verse in Ecclesiastes 11.4, because it says, if you wait, procrastinate, 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 for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. If the only time you enjoy your spouse is when things are perfect... You're never going to enjoy your spouse. If the only time you enjoy your kids is when they're all behaving perfectly, <laughs> if the only time you pray is when you feel like it, the devil is surely going to make sure that you never feel like it. You have to move ahead. In spite of imperfect conditions. So you do it now, and you stop waiting for that perfect time. Now why do we need to take time to look at these four steps? Because God wants you to use your time for him. You were not put on this planet just to do what you want to do. You were put here to do what God created you to do. 
And the number one reason believers aren't used by God and they wonder why they spin in the wheels is they're just too busy with other things. And this is a key skill that I think a lot of people miss out on. How to get control of the gift and the time that God gave you. And the Bible is full of stories of ordinary people that God used in extraordinary ways. When they gave God their time, which actually he gave to them, and their talents. See, God gave you your talents for his purposes, not just to feed you and to house you and to clothe you. He gave you those talents for a reason. And you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't give him your time, it won't work. So, in a minute, we're going to set four goals for the next 90 days. But before you do that, you've got to settle this issue. Are you willing to let God use you? Are you willing to, let, to take these next steps? And would you be prepared to pray a very dangerous prayer? God, use me. I want you to use me. I said that to God and it changed my life. Now, that's the attitude you need to have. Use me before we can start talking about the actions. If you don't have that attitude, these actions won't make sense. Now, we know from... A lot of study in the business world that 95% of people never set goals for their lives. 95%. Only 5% do. And if you'll do these next four things, you'll be in the top 5% this year. But I don't want you to just do it for one year. One of the five purposes of life that God wants you to fulfill is to become like his son. God wants you to become like his son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because you were created to become like Christ. The Bible tells us that. So what we're going to do is we're going to use Jesus, my hero, your hero, as the model, as a standard for living a life that pleases God. We can't look any better. Not even to the prophets, but Jesus. Notice what the Bible says here in Luke 2.52. Jesus grew in wisdom in stature, in favor with God, and favor with people. And this verse shows just four different God-honoring ways he grew in wisdom. That means he grew intellectually. Whoa, I thought I left that when I finished university. No, he didn't. God wants you to continue to grow. Develop, he developed his mind. He wants you to develop your mind. Then it says he grew in stature. That's physically. He developed his body. He was a carpenter. Now, carpenter, as some of you will see in Israel this year, there's not a lot of trees around. So that word carpenter, we think of what's the natural timber we think of, right? Or we think timber, right? In Israel, it's a lot of stone as well. So think he had a lot of hauling a lot of rocks around too. So this guy was no Mary Tetow. He do not haul rocks around like that. This physical growth. He developed his body. He made it the best it could be. He kept himself healthy. Then it says in favor with God, that's spiritual growth. Then it says in favor with other people, that's relational growth or social growth. So if you want to be like Jesus, then you will grow intellectually. You'll grow physically, spiritually, and socially or relationally. And we're going to set one goal as we go through this today. So you cannot walk out of this church saying, I don't know what to do as a result of this message. 
One goal in each of these four areas for the next 90 days. Not for the rest of your life, but it's a start. Agreed? You know where we're going with this? Okay. The first one is let's set a goal for intellectual growth in the next 90 days. So you need to ask yourself, what do I want to learn? I was just talking to my son-in-law about that the other, uh, yesterday. What two or three books are you reading for him, or what one book, or what skill, whatever it is, what do you want to learn? Proverbs 19.8 is a very interesting verse. Do yourself a favor and learn all you can, and you'll prosper. That's what the Bible says. If you're a mom, there are things you can learn. If you're a valuer, there are things you can learn. If you're a doctor, there are things you can learn. All leaders are learners. And the moment you stop learning, you stop growing. You'll stop growing spiritually if you stop learning. You'll stop growing vocationally if you stop learning. And relationally and intellectually. Colossians 1.10 says, grow in your knowledge of God. That is super important. The prime, the prime thing you should be growing in is your knowledge of God. One of the, my favorite verses comes from 2 Peter 1.5. Um, it says, for this very reason, make every effort. My mum would say, put your back into it. <laughs> or use some elbow grease. <laughs> or some terminology. If I get on it. Look lively. Make every effort to add to your faith. What? I thought they only needed just faith. Actually, this is from the scriptures. Read it for yourself. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Put something else on top of it. Goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. Yes. Christianity encourage you to grow. That's part of loving God with all of your mind. This is a very scary verse. And I'd be interested to have some feedback from some of our doctors on this one. If you stop learning, next verse, Proverbs 19, 27. If you stop learning, you'll forget what you already know. <laughs> I think there's something about learning which the scriptures encourage us to keep on growing. Sometimes we get a little lazy. We procrastinate in this one. What is it that you'd like to learn more about God? For me right now, if you ask more, I shall tell you, because we talk about these things regularly. I'm right now going through the book of Hebrews, the book of Romans, and the book of Galatians. I've got that to do in the next 90 days. And I'm already a long way through, because every Friday we sit down together, and she shares with me what she's learning in her Bible study, and I share with written evidence, not just off the top of our heads, <laughs> what, what I'm learning. And that's the way we keep, we keep each other accountable. So what would you like to learn to more about God? Maybe would you like to learn how to share your faith more? If you do, what to say to seekers and how to say If you do, maybe you want to join up our small group and come along. Because that's a skill you'll take and use for the rest of your life. That's a practical thing. I want to do that. I'm signing up for that. Maybe it's in your ministry to serve a other people, but write something down on your paper. Because if you don't, you're going to walk straight out that drive and you're going to be thinking about lunch. And what we've heard here in church will be stolen from you. If you don't decide what's important, you won't do what's important. 
So let's take a minute and think about that. Write down what I want to learn this year. Maybe next 90 days. Maybe for some of you it's as simple as take class 101. That's my next step. Second area of your life that Jesus teaches us is you can set a 2020 goal for physical growth. What do I need to improve in my health? Gee, I didn't hear any groans here. (laughs) But notice what God thinks about this body that God has given you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you the price. So you must honor God with your body. Now, I'm going to say something now that some of you have never thought this way before. You live in a building owned by somebody else. Let me say that again. You live in a building owned by somebody else. It is his house. There's a, a scriptural evidence for that. Now, some have medium houses, some have big houses, and some have small houses. Some have two-story. I'm very definitely a one-story house. <laughs> but nevertheless, it's his house. Where he lives, and my job is to take care of his house. Honor me, he says here, by looking after it. Some of you are going, whoa, I'm going to have a tenant, uh, a, a, a landlord inspection coming up. I need to get things ordered here. Most people treat their bodies as a personal convenience. They can mistreat it with unhealthy practices. This is one way they do it. Let me be really clear, because I've seen it many times in the business world. They are so flipping busy, fulfilling selfish desires, they never take care. And they're not a good tenant of his building. They don't do preventative maintenance. And so they're lacking energy for his purposes. And the only energy they've got for is basically feeding and clothing and maintaining the lifestyle that they have. Nothing left. So set a goal now. I want to encourage you at the beginning of the year, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, adults, to be married, whatever it may be, set a goal so they can have more energy to focus on God's purposes, and don't wait to do this. So here's a question. How can I improve? This is a question for you and me. How can I improve my health in 2020? How could you do that? Is there something that you could write down to improve your health in 2020? Because I know people who even have talent and they've got time, but they've got no energy. No energy left. It's all spent on other things. Because remember, you've only got a certain amount of energy. Be careful how you spend that. Three, let's set a goal for spiritual growth. Second Peter 3.18 talks about growing spiritual strength and become better acquainted with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ask yourself the question, how can I deepen my trust in God in the next 90 days? 
Maybe it's going to have a, a more extended devotional time. Maybe it's set a goal to read the book of the Bible. Maybe it's a goal to take our next class and bring somebody. If you've already taken that class, why don't you bring one of your friends along to the next class and you come with them? Maybe for some of you it's to get baptized. But whatever it is, why not make that decision today, right now, when you have time allocated to do this? Now, if you're going to do these things, setting a goal for your life in these four areas, remember, 95% of the people in the general population will never do this. They'll just bobble along. The fourth area that Jesus grew in, it says, he grew in favor with man. This means that he grew socially or relationally. So I want to help you set a relational goal so you have a ministry. Not for the rest of your life, but just for the autumn. And yes, autumn's coming already. Leaves are starting to drop off some of my trees, and it's not for lack of water. <laughs> Things are coming. Autumn's coming. The Bible says in Philippians 1.9, My prayer for you is that your love will grow more and more. And the problem sometimes is love can sort of like stagnate or atrophy. God, on the other hand, wants your love to grow more and more. And that you'll have knowledge and understanding with your love. God says, I want you to grow in love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So God wants you to keep on growing his love, your love for him. That's the purpose of worship. And love and growing in relationship with other people. That's ministry. Now one way you can do this is in a small group. You get in small groups so that you meet people who are different from you and you learn to love them. If you're not in a small group, you will, next to the word of God, you will not be optimizing the way that God intended you to grow. You'll be missing a dimension. When God puts you in a group of people, you end up learning how to love because you meet people who are very different than you. So here's a practical suggestion. (laughs) If you want a really practical one, for relational growth in 90 days. If you do this, I love this verse. <laughs> it says, get into the habit of inviting guests for dinner. Whoa, it's been a while since we did that. Now, here's a radical suggestion, which is not in the scriptures, but you'll forgive me if I say this. Cross out the word guests and put leader. Maybe children's worker, youth leader. Write down one area, whatever it may be. Neighbor, you may want to write. Maybe it's a cup of tea. But how can we say we love our neighbor if we don't even know their name and they haven't even been for a cup of tea? Do you just blow that one off? Oh, Jesus didn't really think he meant my real neighbor. Cup of tea doesn't hurt. Or cup of coffee. Do we even know their name? Or join a small group. Here's another one to grow. Another area of growth is where we offer forgiveness and ask forgiveness. Ooh, that's too deep to get into right now, but that's one area that some of you saying, God, you're speaking to me. If you're a parent, maybe you need to establish or re-establish a family time around God's word. 
Here is the brother of Jesus. Technically stepbrother, but he's got a way, man. That guy, you read his book, you cannot read his book without getting super convicted. And he says to you and me, he says here, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In other words, put something down. Who do you want to grow closer to? And don't just make it your own family. That's important. But who else outside of your family? Maybe write down the name of a friend and start praying for them. Opportunity to share your faith or maybe even invite them to church. But put something down where you can grow in love. Romans 6.10 For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's saying count yourself dead to sin. That means, what does that mean? It means that we should regard our old selfish nature as unresponsive, dead, you know, poke, poke. I'm sure you have never poked a dead body, but I've touched quite a few in my life. They're very unresponsive. Nothing home, nothing going. It's like a a car with no driver in there. There's a shell, but the real person's gone. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. What does that mean? It means that we're unresponsive to follow through with the old desires and the old goals, which are all around me, 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 me. And you're alive to God's goals and his purposes for your life. We have a new start. The Holy Spirit will help us. And we're to use every opportunity to draw people from darkness into light and to become what Christ made us, salt and light in our community, in our homes. Why do we do this? Last verse. Ephesians 5 says this. Live purposefully. That means on purpose and worthily. What does worthily mean? It means worthy of the fact that God created you for that purpose. That you're not going to waste this one life, which is he died for you, not as unwise. Don't live life as unwise, but as wise people making the most of your time. Do not be vague like, duh. Or thoughtless? I know. I haven't got any thoughts. What do you think? I don't know. That's thoughtless. Don't do that, it says here. Don't sit around with any goal, without any goals in your life. Don't be aimless. Well, I don't know where I'm shooting. Look, if I'm going to put my heart and soul into a race, when I put my fingers down at that line, I sure as heck know where the end point is. And how I'm going straight there. No detours around to pick up the daisy on the way down the 100 meters. We're going for it. Don't sit around. Don't be aimless. Don't be purposeless. And foolish. That will be foolishness to do that. But firmly grasp. In other words, in the current vernacular, get a grip. Get a really strong grip. What the will of the Lord is. And don't let go of it. Why will we do this? Because it's God's will. You were made for more than just walking through life and collecting a pile of stuff, which you're going to give to people who most of you don't even know who they are. 
and may or may not pan out to be reliable. And I can guarantee you one thing, they will not spend it on the things that you would. We were made for a purpose. We were made for meaning. We are made to accomplish something with our lives for the kingdom of God and to become like Jesus. And the most important thing you can do as you come into 2020 and this new decade is to know Jesus. Let's pray. Would you pray this prayer with me in your heart and say, Father, as a result of your word today, Holy Spirit, help me to stop complaining about my schedule and all that I've got to do and how tired I am. With your help, Holy Spirit, I am going to accept responsibility for my time that you've given me and for the life that you've given me. I'm going to stop making excuses and stop accusing others. And I'm going to start making choices that honor your word and your will. God, I believe that you'll help me as I trust you. Help me to set faith goals and to strengthen my faith because I want to be stronger in you at the end of this year than I was at the beginning by a country mile. Help me to clarify, Holy Spirit, as my counselor, what is important in this life. Help me to aim at God-honoring actions, to set God-honoring goals, and not to start off in a million different directions or sit confused at the side of the road. Help me to understand what you define as good, Lord. Holy Spirit, motivate me so that I do not procrastinate and keep on putting things off. Today, I'm starting now, and I'm not going to wait for perfect conditions. Jesus, I want to become more like you. I want to grow like you did. Intellectually, physically, relationally, and socially, Lord. Friend, if you never open your life to Jesus Christ, just say to him, Jesus Christ, I open my life to you today. For the first time, I ask you to come in and be my savior. Forgive my sin and be the director of my life from this day forward. In your precious and powerful name I pray. Amen.